0: as
1: as I begin my own spiritual journey, I want to hear from those who have taken this path before me. This podcast focuses on them and listening to their stories uninterrupted. My name is Hiba Masood and I invite you to reflect on the trajectories of their lives and the guidance and blessings provided by Allah Allah along that journey. Siti Mustafa Davis's timeline follows many in the 90s who took their Shahada and traveled overseas seeking knowledge. He converted as an atheistic college student after finding clarity in Surah Maryam. Soon after, he met Sheikh Hamza Yusuf and his teachers in California. That led him on a journey to Mauritania, Spain, the UK, Syria, and eventually Yemen, with his friend and travel companion, Sheikh Yahya Rodis. While in Turim, Yemen, his path took a different direction. Habib Umar advised him that media production would be his path to Allah SWT. And so he began his work with Habib Ali al at Guidance Media and Thaba Foundation. After returning to the U.S. in 2008, he started his own production agency called Mustafa Davis Studios, which he hopes to use to tell stories that would otherwise go untold. Today, he's in Turkey studying with Sheikh Mokhtar Mughrawi, running his production studio and teaching a full time film training program. In this episode, he takes us on a journey around the world, sharing advice from his experience as a student and an artist, and how his work has become a means for him to seek nearness to Allah. Allah.
0: I grew up in in California, in the Bay Area, in the the mid '70s. I was born in 1973 in Mountain View, California. Um, not to a religious family. My mother is, is a Roman Catholic. She's she's a first generation German. Uh, actually, we traced our roots back to to Luxembourg. So she's. I mean, they they spoke German and they were from Germany. They lived in Frankfurt, Germany. My my grandfather, uh, my maternal grandfather, was a farmer in. Um, in in, uh, in Germany and then they they migrated to the states and then my mother is first generation um, and my father's black American uh he was raised in the south and then migrated to to Portland Oregon uh, before I was before I was born uh, and my father's actually he would say that he's between agnostic and an atheist um but definitely not I would say he's spiritual but not religious and I would say, Uh, my mother's going to kill me for this, but I say she's religious, but not spiritual. So they're kind of um, polar polar opposites. And I don't mean that to disparage my mother. I I just mean that typical, you know, kind of Catholic or Christian, um, you know, um, reality in the United States is that a lot of times, you know, you'll go to church on Sunday or on Easter or on Christmas or whatever, but that's kind of the extent of it. It's not like we were going to, you know, you know, Catholic school, or you know, serving as altar boys, or anything like that, when I was growing up. So it wasn't really a religious environment um, at all. My parents split when I was when I was two years old. So I kind of oscillated between my mother and my father. Um, and then I would get different things. You know, when you would get in trouble on my mother's side, then it was always, you know, you have to go to church uh when you get in father in trouble on my father's side there was not that that element there so i kind of lived between those two those two dichotomies i didn't grow up with my father uh, I, I didn't actually li- live with my father until i was 16 years old uh, and most of the time i was spent with my mother and they they remained close and they're still close friends uh to this day so although i kind of grew up in what you know would be what would be labeled a broken family um it wasn't uh there was no you know animosity between, between my parents. So I didn't have that, that contention, but it, I would say that it wasn't a very spiritual environment at all, to the extent that by the time I was a teenager myself uh, had become an atheist as well. I, I didn't, I just didn't believe in an, in a, in a higher power. and And part of that had to do with, you know, at a young age going to church and asking questions you know when you're young and you go to church your parents will go as a catholic your parents will go to, to mass which is in the main hall of the church and then the kids would kind of go to what i guess a quasi sunday school and i would ask questions and and the the priests didn't like my questions because I, I always had an issue with the trinity i didn't understand how god could be a human and not a human and a spirit and be all these three things uh, at once, and I was told that you just had to, you just had to have faith, and you just had to believe. And I couldn't believe that that a higher power or a God would want me to believe in something that wasn't really possible uh, to, to to believe in, you know. And this is, you know, my own personal experience. And so, at some point in my early teens, I become a, I become an atheist uh, as well. And you know, the environment in the mid seventies and early eighties when I was growing up in the United States, you know, more particularly the seventies. Um, I'm a mixed child. So my father's black American and my mother's blonde hair, blue eyed uh, German, and all of my siblings are also uh, blonde hair and blue eyes. My mother was married three times. Her first marriage, she had my older sister uh, and then, you know, had me with my father and I have a younger brother and a younger sister uh, from her current marriage, which is, you know, my my, my current stepfather who I grew up with. And so what that meant for me was, you know, a bit of an identity crisis growing up there wasn't a lot of uh, mixed race kids when i was growing up i think there was one other one when i was in in grade school and you know that would have an effect on me later at the time i didn't know because i was just a kid and you just you know you just play with other kids but that identity issue i think became um probably one of the reasons as a as an as an adult you know young adult that i started searching um, a lot of that had to do with just a lack of a, a real sense of identity. I didn't fully belong, you know, with the black side of the family because I'm, I'm lighter. Um, and I have a, that means I have a different experience in public. Uh, and then I didn't fully mesh with my white side of the family because I'm, I'm darker and, you know, and so I didn't fully mesh with them either. So I think, you know, growing up in that time period in the seventies and, and that type of environment created, uh, a type of, uh, of identity crisis that I think I carried with me to, to my later years.
1: Thank you for um, that background and context. Um, so you're kind of questioning um, Catholicism. You're uh, what drew you to Islam? How did you learn about Islam?
0: So you know, I, I I grew up like I guess like a typical American kid in a broken home. You're you're exploring things and and you're you're lashing out. And so I, I got I lost my way for a little bit. I got into uh, drugs, and, and we lived in a tough, tough neighborhood, although I, I was never in a gang. Um, you know, we lived in an area of Sacramento, California, called Lincoln Village. It's, just, it's a little ghetto known for, you know, drugs and, and gang violence. And so I got caught up in that. At one point, I was going to be I thought I was going to be a professional soccer player. I, I played soccer my whole life from the time I was you know four years old. I started and I, and I played um, I even played semi pro at one point. Um, and so that was gonna be, you know, what I did. But I I I, you know, in my my sophomore year, uh I broke my ankle and that meant I couldn't play anymore. And at that point, I actually had at a sophomore, as a sophomore, I had full ride scholarships to both Dartmouth and, and Columbia universities uh, because I, I did really well in, in soccer at a young age. I put everything into it. It's kind of like my whole life revolved around mm-hmm. it. And then when I broke my ankle, um Uh, I couldn't do it anymore you know and if you can't play your last two years of high school then those scholarships were rescinded Uh, that was no longer an option for me and so I started to spiral out a little bit like a lot of young teens uh, do at that time and so I lost my way for a bit Um, I moved to I got kicked out of my house or I actually at some point I got kicked out of three high schools uh, and then I got kicked out of my house with my mother because I I just became um, too much I think you know in retrospect I look back Uh, it would you know as a father myself now with with, with adult uh, children Mm -hmm. uh, I really feel for my mother and the time that she had to spend with me back then but at the time I blamed you know my circumstance and my environment so you know I ended up moving with my father um, and that kind of changed me a little bit, you know, especially with the identity thing. Cause now, you know, I'm a young mixed kid, and but now I'm finally living with a, with my black father for the first time in my life. And so now I really start exploring, you know, blackness and 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 what that means and how that what that means to me. And 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 then how where do I fit uh in in the in the world? And so I start to change my life a little bit. And, you know, as a I remembered you know catholic school and i remembered you know people who'd come to my my high school to teach who had lost their way and then got back on track the the story was always somehow they found religion again you know they went back to church or they found god and they were born again and so i wanted to 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 change and i wanted to get get better so i started looking into to religion again um you know and then somehow along the way i find out about uh, islam and um I decide that you know I think this is going to be something that I that I that I want to do, and this is going to be the way I get back on track and the way I get better. You know, at some point I'm I find myself in in, in university, so I move out pretty young. You know, I, I move out um, even before I've, I've I've graduated from high school, and so I'm living on my own, uh, and I'm and I'm I'm working as a waiter in a restaurant in the evenings, and then I'm going to college during the day, um, and I'm studying photojournalism and and English. And you know, one day I, I'm at school and I meet uh, a man by the name of of Khadim, who to to this day is a really good friend of mine, and and ends up becoming the impetus for me, uh, embracing Islam. And you know, I, I meet him on a on a on a Thursday afternoon. But it's significant because the night before that, I, you know, again, I'm trying to get back on track, and so um, you know, I, I go to the a bookstore to to look for a a, a Bible. And, and I find a, 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 I walk past the Eastern philosophy section in a Barnes and Noble bookstore in Santa Clara, California. And I see a book that says the name Muhammad written on the, on the end of it. And so, you know, I, I just recently talked to a friend um, the day previous about um, getting back on track. And he had advised me, he said, you know, why don't you look into Islam? And I didn't know much about Islam at that time. You know, this is the time when Malcolm X film had come out. And, you know, that was, there's X hats and T shirts everywhere. And, um, you know, a lot of talk about the nation of Islam. And so I, I wasn't really interested because, you know, the nation of Islam, uh, as pivotal as the nation you know, is and was you know, to the trajectory of, of orthodox Islam in the United States, it wasn't really something I thought I could do because I'm half white, you know, and so the belief that, you know, the white man is the devil. Um, that would have been a lot of self-hate <laughs> to, to join that movement. And my, my mother probably wouldn't have been too, too happy. Uh, and then the only other interest, the only other reference that I had to Islam at that time was like movies, like, you know, movies like Back to the Future, where, you know, the, the Muslims are Libyan terrorists and out to find plutonium and destroy the world. And so um, I wasn't really interested, you know, but I remembered that he had mentioned Islam and mentioned that there was a prophet, by the name of Muhammad, uh, peace be upon him, and that they—they're not actually black separatists and that it's not a nationalistic uh, religion. It's actually one of the three monotheistic uh, religions, and so I, I recognize the name Muhammad, and I pick up the book and I start reading through it, and there's all these you know difficult Arab names because it's you know it's, it's a Sira book, and so it's talking mm-hmm. about the lineage of the Prophet Muhammad and and it's just you know I'm a young American kid with a heavy tongue. And these arabic words are just way too hard for me to 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 pronounce and so again that re that re-emphasized that you know islam must be a foreign religion it's something for foreigners obviously not something for an american kid i can't even pronounce the words that i'm reading and so i actually put the book back but when i put it back right next to it was a was a translation of the meanings of the quran by yusuf ali and i pick it up um don't know why, but I, I, I do. And I open it up a true story to just a random page. And it's the very beginning of Surah Maryam. And so I just start reading and, uh, you know, halfway through, I find myself in tears. Um, I finished the Surah and I'm in the bookstore and I'm, and I'm in tears. And, and the reason I'm in tears is that it, it answered every question that I had had to those when I asked those, those priests when I was a young kid that they couldn't answer Um and, and, and I and I really did want to believe as a kid. I just didn't find the answers that were suitable for me to, to think like, okay, this is something I could commit my life to. This is something that I can have faith in. And so Surat and Maryam did it for me. Like it was a done deal. I, I read that and I was like, everything makes sense. There, there has to be a God that this is so clear. I get it. So I actually bought the book and then I go and take it home. I read it two more times and i refused to read any other surah i refused to read any other chapter now i don't know anything about islam at this point other than the fact that they have a prophet by the name of muhammad Wasallam. and then i've i've got this this quran that i understood that was revelation that was revealed to the to the prophet muhammad Wasallam. but at this point i didn't even know it was through um through Sayyidina jibril through the archangel gabriel i didn't know any of that but i just knew that this was revelation it was one of the three monotheistic uh faiths and so I didn't know to read anything else or, or or not, but I was ready at that moment to make Suratul Maryam to make that chapter my religion because it answered all the questions that I had had as a kid, and so I was I was 100 ready to say I believe in this, and and it felt, you know, it's hard to describe for people who haven't um, lived a good portion of their life without faith mm-hmm. what it feels like to understand finally what it feels like to finally get the answers that you were looking for. It's it's almost impossible. Uh, to, to 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 explain it, it'd be kind of like you know come come like my wife trying to explain to me what labor was like with our four children like i i, I can't like I, i'm just not gonna get it right and so you know i i felt it was like a moment in my life where i just felt so open i felt at peace and, and i'm not a muslim yet and i haven't committed to converting I, I don't even know that's what i want to do or that i that i should do um and so the next morning i go to 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 college and, and then i meet this brother, Khadim, who's a Senegalese brother uh, who had just recently been back to his his country uh, and he had some like wallets and like dolls and, and things that he was selling at a little kiosk in the, in the school. And so uh, I walk up and I'm just looking at the at the wallets and things and, and he he says hello to me and I say hello. And then the next thing he says to me, he says, brother, are you a Muslim? And I was like, no, that's a strange question to lead off with, you know, but I said, I'm not, I said, but you know what? Interesting. I said, I bought a Quran last night and he was so happy. He was like, oh, this is so beautiful. This is so wonderful. And he was congratulating me and he came over and he gave me a big hug. And and then he just starts talking to me. He says, I'm a Muslim. And then he immediately goes into my very first lesson in, in fiqh. In islamic jurisprudence before i'm a muslim and he explains to me that muslims play pray five times a day and he said now is one of the times of our prayers and he said no, we can't delay it we have to we have to pray on time he said would you help me because i don't want to miss the prayer can you watch my stuff for me when i go pray and i said sure you know i, I obviously the, the I'm, I'm not a good student so i'll skip class you know to watch your stuff for you and, you know, he says, you know, can you, can you sell this for this much and this much? And here's the cash box. If you could just give people change, if they want something that would be, I'd be really grateful. And I said, sure. And then he left and I'm sitting there and I remember at this point, I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a Muslim, you know, uh, I'm in my early twenties now and, and. You know, I'm in this moment where I'm trying to get better, you know, and I didn't go into detail, but, you know, I remember I said, i, I lost my way a little bit. I, the drugs had come in. i had started stealing things and running with the wrong crowds and things. And so I look at the cash box and I think, hmm, I could just take that. And he wouldn't know. And there's no way that he could get me. He wouldn't, I just wouldn't have to walk this way at all in school anymore. He would never see me. And subhanAllah, the, the, the moment I thought that it occurred to my heart that, you know he knows that too. he he knows that he he just told me to watch this stuff and he doesn't know me. I'm a stranger. he knows I could take it and he must he just doesn't care. And then subhanallah, right at that moment it hit me uh, this was like the first time I had a desire for to belong to 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 something to belong to a faith, to belong to a, a, a religion. You know I said, I want that. Whatever made him not worry about this and not care, about his money and, and that stuff, and that some stranger that could steal it. That's what I'm looking for. And so then he, he comes back, you know, a, a little, I joke about this because he was gone actually a long time, like 20 minutes. And, you know, at that point I didn't know anything, but later I think like he must have read Surat al-Baqarah and, and Surat al-Imran. In his Dohar prayer because it was so long, <laughs> I was there by myself. I felt maybe it felt like just like a lifetime because I'm 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 in a different space today than I was yesterday at that time, right? And so I'm, I'm maybe I'm just thinking about things a little bit deeper, but it felt like a long time. And then he comes back and we start talking again, and, and a Pakistani brother by the name of Sohail walks up, and and he's so interesting. He's got a short sleeve shirt that says Metallica on it. He's got long kind of like punk rock hair. And, and they give salams, the greetings to each other, and then he looks at me and says, "Are you Muslim?" Now at this point, this is too much of a coincidence for me, you know, um, and I, I, you know, I'm, and, and I'm not a Muslim yet, so like I'm not really believing in the fantastical and things like that. But these are kind of clear signs, even for someone that was in my state, uh, a state of mind at that time. And so I, you know, Brother Khadim explains to him that I just bought a Quran, and then Sohel asked me if I'd ever been to a masjid, or if I'd been to a mosque before, and, and I said no. And he says, "Well, tomorrow is a day that you know that that Muslims go to to their congregational prayer. Would you like to go to a mosque?" And I said, "Sure." And so he he uh, he 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 uh, we exchanged numbers, and and sure enough, he calls and and picks me up the the next day. It's Friday. I didn't know at the time, but this is Ramadan, and mm-hmm. and it's 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 Friday, and it's the it's the seventeenth of Ramadan. So it's the anniversary of the Battle of Badr. And he picks me up and we go to the mosque. It was the MCA, the Muslim Community Association Mosque in Santa Clara, California, that Sheikh Hamza Yusuf eventually becomes the, the imam at when he finishes his studies in, 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 in Mauritania. In fact, I believe he was the imam at that time. I, I just wasn't aware of it yet because I didn't know who, who he was. Or I didn't even know what, it, what an imam was. Uh, so I walk into the door and there's like 30 to 40 men lined up all in a row. And you know, I still don't know what's going on. So for me, this is like, okay, Muslims have a weird ritual when you enter a mosque, like you go and you get in line. It's like that at the end of like a of a of a you know like a a peewee football game or something. everyone lines up and shakes hands. That's what I'm thinking is going on here. like, okay, we're just gonna give each other high fives before we go into the mosque. and I shake every single person's hand. And, and, and they're very warm. And I'd never felt that, you know, some people are like grabbing my hand with both hands and shaking it and people are putting their hands on their heart. And, you know, it was just a, such a warm welcome. And, and I didn't know until I got to the end of the line that they were all there to meet me. So Hale had called ahead and told him that I was coming. And then, you know, it's this pre, pre Juma, just as before the Juma prayer. And so they're, they're all just there waiting. And then we sit in a circle and they just asked me about my life and my family and where I'm from and, you know, what my life is about and you know at at some point they just said you know would you like to become a muslim and and i said yes and you know i was i was surprisingly to myself i said i said yes and so right then and there on that friday i said my shahada so i learned about you know the prophet muhammad on a wednesday and then i become a muslim on that friday and you know and i'm mentioning you know if, if, if someone hasn't lived, you know, a good portion of their life without faith, it's difficult to explain. Even the moment of shahada is really difficult to explain. And, and I'll explain it, and it, it might sound a bit fantastical, but it was very real for me. You know, for some reason, when he grabbed my hand and when we were saying the, the kalima, when we were saying the shahada, I closed my eyes. You know, but after I said it the first time, after I said, you know, Muhammad, wa rasulu, I I. I had to open my eyes really quickly because I, I felt uh, Allah' my witness, I felt that I had lifted off the ground I felt that I I'd floated off the ground like two feet and I, and I scared myself, and so I, I opened my eyes really quick and I'm, obviously I'm still sitting on the ground, but I felt that I, I had lifted uh, off the ground, and then later on, you know, after I'd been studying for some years, I had explained that story to one of my one of my teachers, and he said that that was the weight of kufr. You felt the weight of kufr leaving you, and it was in, that was what was weighing you down and so heavily on you. And you know, subhanallah. So that that's it's hard to explain to someone who didn't 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 feel that, but that's that's basically how I became Muslim. You know, I, a lot of people go through a long period of searching and studying and researching and you know, comparative religions and things. And, and for me, it wasn't. It was just I just wanted to get better. I didn't want to live the lifestyle that I was living anymore. And so I was blessed to learn. You know, the name. Uh, and Muhammad, and learn about the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And then two days, two days later, alhamdulillah, Allah guided me, guided me to Islam, alhamdulillah. What
1: a beautiful story! Thank you for sharing that. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you first met Sheikh Hamza, and how um, you know you decided to go overseas? I mean, pretty early on, um, as a Muslim, you decided to go overseas and, and study.
0: Yeah so subhanallah you know I converted in in, in in 1996 it's February 1996 and then by May of 1997 I'm in Mauritania in West Africa um you know that that that, that was pretty 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 fast you know yeah. so you know when when I convert I I I end up meeting Sheikh Hamza um Sheikh Hamza Yusuf and um, I went to a, a a a dialogue. At that point, you know, there was a lot of still there was a lot of interfaith stuff that was happening in California. So it was a Muslim, Christian, Jewish dialogue. And they had Sheikh Hamza Yusuf, I believe it was at Santa Clara University. They had Sheikh Hamza Yusuf, a rabbi, and a priest. And so I went to that and I heard Sheikh Hamza speak. And, you know, especially after you've just taken your Shahada, you know, after listening to Sheikh Hamza at that time, he was very fiery. And Sheikh Hamza such an intellect, you know, he just dominated the entire debate. Like he was telling the, the rabbi, no, that's not what the Torah says. You're wrong there. It says this, he was quoting verses from the Bible and verses from the Quran. And I had never seen anything like that, you know, cause I didn't, again, I grew up in a little, you know, town in, in Sacramento, California, a little ghetto. So I'm, I'm, I'm clearly not the academic, you know. <laughs> so, you know so, so seeing Sheikh Hamza just, you know, pontificate and give all these different answers, I was just mind blown. For me, it was like, I'm sitting like this, this is like Plato. I'm just, I'm sitting with Aristotle right now. He knows everything. These guys don't even know their own religion. Thank you, Allah. You made me choose the right one. This guy is amazing. And so I was just in awe. And then after the, the the talk, you know, there's a meeting point downstairs, you know, everyone's kind of crowding Sheikh Hamza and I'm shy still because I'm, I'm, I'm a new Muslim. I don't really know the etiquette. I don't want to make a mistake. And so I'm kind of just off in the background a little bit. And, you know, he's talking to people and he looks over at me and he says, and I said, salam," and then he, he comes over to him and he says, what's your name? And I hadn't chosen a Muslim name yet. My birth name is Brian. My mom, my parents gave me the most plain Ordinary possible American name you could have. My full legal name on my passport is Brian Richard Davis. And so he looks at me. He says, "You know, what's your name?" I said, "I'm Brian." You know, and, and so we're we're exchanging. You know, he just 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 a, sh- a short greeting, and then he goes back to to talking to 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 everyone. Um, you, the 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 Juma, I believe, uh, it, it, it's been so long, I can't know the, the dates exactly. I think it was the Juma after I converted. Um, I went back to that same mosque for the khutbah, and it was Sheikh Hamza giving giving the khutbah. And then afterwards, uh, I spent some time in the in the bookstore there at the at the at the mosque, and and that was such a fascinating place for a young, you know, uh, new Muslim, like especially someone who doesn't come from a, a place of academia. There's all these books and. You know, they're all in Arabic and all this gold writing. And I'm imagining like, like Islam has the answers to everything. And that's just, you know, that's my experience when I'm going through. look at. They have books about this and books about that. And the masjid kind of clears out and I'm there. Um, there's just a few of us there in the bookstore. And then I'm there and I just hear from behind me, Brian. And I turn around and it was Sheikh Hamza. And he says, Salam alaykum, Salam. And so, you know, we're, we're talking and then, and then he's just asking how I am. And then, you know, he asks, you know, I don't remember how it came up, but somehow the, the, the subject of my name comes up. I think there were people who were encouraging me to change my name by that point. That was kind of very, that's what you had to do in the 90s. You convert, here's your new name. Like you just, here you go. And 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 it's like a, lot, a lot of times it was like a name that the poor convert couldn't even pronounce. Like you are now Abdul Razak. And so, sort of like, he's, what's your name? I think it's Abdul. I don't know my name exactly yet. I'm learning how to pronounce it. That was the case for a lot of poor converts in the, in the, in the 90s. So anyways, we get on this topic of name and, 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 you know, I was so enamored and impressed with and in love with Brother Khadam, you know, who was the, the, the brother who, you know, had me watch his kiosk and was really the impetus, you know, for me becoming Muslim. Uh, I said, I think I'm going to choose the name Khadam. And Shaykh Hamza says, Oh, mashallah, that's a beautiful, beautiful name. And then he said, Have you considered, you know, the name Mustafa? And I said, I don't, I, I don't know what that what that is, what it means. And he told me it was one of the names of the Prophet Muhammad. It means chosen. And so I, I liked it. And I said, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll choose that. So I, I became uh Mustafa at that point. I think the week after I had converted, uh, by Shaykh Hamza's suggestion, alhamdulillah. Um And, you know, at that point in in, in the mid 90s, there hadn't been a lot of conversions at that mosque yet. You know, there there had been some before me, but it was still sort of an anomaly uh, at that point. Uh, And so and Sheikh Hamza was this is before Sheikh Hamza was kind of on the the speaker circuit and known. He's still working locally. I believe he was still uh, attending, finishing his degree in university and was working as a nurse. Uh, at that time. And, and what that meant was that you, we, we got to get access, right? Because, it, you know, there, there wasn't a lot of people that were trying to, to surround him. And so we got access. And so I immediately just, you know, uh, uh, developed a relationship with him. And, you know, a couple times a week, I would go to his, walk over to his house in Santa Clara, and he would teach me Maliki Fiqh. I still remember the book. It was a lime green book that said Malachite jurisprudence on it. I was studying that book. I had no idea what Malachite jurisprudence meant. I didn't even know the word jurisprudence, (laughs) but, but I was, I was just happy to be studying and and learning something. So I immediately started after I converted, started studying and, you know, this is, Sheikh comes is just fresh back from, from, from Mauritania, from his studies uh, overseas. And so, you know, you're, you're enamored with your with your teacher. You know, one of the first signs of love is emulation. And so I wanted to be like Sheikh Hamza. I wanted to do that, you know. And I, I thought that if you wanted to be a good Muslim, you had to go overseas and you had to, you had to study. You know, and shortly after that, you know, a few months after that, Sheikh Khatri Udbeb comes, who's one of the first Mauritanians to come to visit us in California, you know, by invitation from Sheikh Hamza. And Sheikh Khatri comes and 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 he's teaching us you know, fiqh and like here we are learning from this Bedouin sage that had never left the deserts before. Now he's in Santa Clara, California, in the Bay Area, and he's teaching us fiqh. You know, we're learning Maliki fiqh and he's teaching us how to tell the prayer times with the sun, how to measure your shadow, teaching us how to how to make wudu properly. And so we're learning this and and, and Sheikh Khatri, you know, became pivotal in in my in my trajectory as a as a Muslim. And I asked him if I could come back to Mauritania with him. And he said yes. And so, you know, I, I don't remember exactly how long Sheikh Khatri was in uh, California, but by May of that following year, uh, I was on a plane with Sheikh Khatri uh, back, to, back to Mauritania. And now, I didn't know how to speak to Sheikh Khatri, I didn't have any Arabic. Um, he had zero English. Uh, I knew how to, I knew the alphabet, I had memorized the Arabic alphabet. And I knew that some of our dear friends from the Syrians, I think it was uh, Uncle Tarif Al-Arabi, who was well known in the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. Um, He taught me how to say khubs, bread, and mat, water. And so I'm I'm here, I'm going to Mauritania, gonna go live in the desert, and I got my survival tools. I know how to to say I need to eat and, and drink. It was a really interesting journey from leaving California um, you know, cause it's Sheikh Hatri leaving. And so there's, you know, there's this huge farewell for him. Um, all of the, the, you know, the brothers and people that had been studying with him all this time, come to the, to the airport to see him off. And I get to kind of like tag along on, on this, you know, this huge farewell. So I'm feeling really great about myself because there's <laughs> like 50 to 60 people saying goodbye, you know, to Sheikh Hatri. And so I get to be a part of that. Um, but we have a layover in, 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 in Paris, in Charles de Gaulle airport. Um, and so we get there, uh, I you know, I have no idea what we're doing. And so I'm trying to find people to speak English. And then you know, there's a point where we're just kind of off to the side, waiting to get our, we had vouchers for a hotel. And then, you know, this is interesting, you know, we're, we're there. And then these actors, famous actors, Danny DeVito and Sean Penn walk by. And I'm just sitting with, with, with Sheikh Khatri. Um, and I know I recognize them because, you know, I grew up watching movies with them. And so I see Sean Penn. It's like, oh, that's Sean Penn. He walks by. And then Danny DeVito is there. And he, he, he makes a beeline over to Sheikh Hatri and I. And we're just sitting on the bench. And he gets about maybe 15 yards away from us and just stands there. And he's looking at Sheikh Hatri. True story. He's looking at Sheikh Hatri, just looking at him. And then at one point, he just stops and he puts his hand to his head and gives him a salute. Like a military salute, it gives Sheikh Hatri a military salute, and then just keeps walking. <laughs> so that was my my strange my strange trip back to Mauritania with with um, with, with Sheikh Hatri. So then I end up there. You know, the next day we arrive in 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 Mauritania, and that kind of begins my journey of uh, of being overseas for for the, for that first you know about, about a decade um, at at that point. So that, that was the beginning of me going overseas.
1: What a great story. I can't I can't even believe that happened. Did he do anything? Did he no,
0: Sheikh Hutchri just kinda of, he nodded, he nodded to him. Wow. But I, I was still to this day, it's like, wow, what a weird, what a weird exchange that was. That was just and, and why did he like he must have seen something in Sheikh Hutri because yeah. he just he walks over to him and he's literally like fifteen feet away. And I'm like this young American kid. I'm like, That's Danny DeVito. <laughs> Can he to us right in front of me. And Mm -hmm. then he just gives them this, gives them the salute. And then, you know,
1: subhanAllah
0: is on his way. (laughs)
1: Um, Can you talk about your, you know, at the beginning of your time in Mauritania, um, how do you survive in Mauritania without Arabic? Um, Do you have culture shock? Like, how does that go?
0: So culture shock, you know, subhanAllah, it, it was culture shock. I'm a young American kid. I had, the, the, the furthest I had traveled out of the United States was Mexico and Canada for, for soccer, right? So I'm still in, in North America. So like the first time I leave the United States overseas, I'm going to Mauritania. And so I remember landing in the airport and then just, you know, first, you know, flying in, I was asleep. I was asleep, subhanAllah. I was asleep on a plane and I remember Sheikh Khatri waking me up. He just like he he just like kept shake, shaking me. He shook shook me and, and I woke up and he's looking out the window and he keeps pointing. He keeps pointing. He's like, Africa, Africa. And I was like looking and I look, and it was just brown, like completely brown. Like I would flown quite a bit in the, within the United States, but I had never just seen just vast desert. And so I just remember being in awe and then also kind of just questioned, like, what am I doing? where am I? What am I? Why? How is this my life right now? What am I doing? And then I remember we land and I get off of the plane. And I remember everyone saying it's so hot there. It's going to be so hard. You're gonna to have to be patient. And I remember walking, you know, a few steps when we got off the plane. And I'm like, this isn't that bad. You know, I've been to Bakersfield, California. I've been to the desert before. This isn't that bad. But then about like 15, 20 steps in, I was drenched in sweat. Like this was a whole new level of heat. Like I felt like I was I was it was like the I was I was burning from the inside out. Like it was just a whole nother level of, of, of heat. And then we make it to the to the residence where we're going to be staying because we're going to stay in Nawaksha, which is the capital city, for a night before we had make the journey out to Gero because it's a long trip to 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 where uh, uh lived in, in in Gero. It's an it's an entire day trip by by road. And, and by road in Mauritania means that there's a road that's a marker, but it's too banged up and broken to drive on. So you drive in the desert uh, next to it, and so we we stayed there for a night. And I remember this because there was a there was a brother there that really like just he, he was really helping me out. And and for some reason for him it was very important that I learned the 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 numbers. I learned numbers in Arabic, and so he'll grab my hand, pull one finger up, and say wahid and then put pull the third one up, talatha. and I would like try to repeat after him. And It's a very communal society. So there's like 15 people sitting around us when we're doing it. Each time I utter or try attempt to utter a word in Arabic, it's just full on laughter. Like this, like I was like headlining the comedy club, just full on <laughs> laughter. I, they say, why? I say, why? <laughs> Everyone would laugh. And so I'm also going through this kind of internal uh, Nef's experience too yeah. at the same time because I know I'm being ridiculed, right? I know that I know that it's it's funny to them. Then um, the next morning we leave to go to, to, to Gero. Um Again, at this point we're still just communicating with hand gestures and stuff like I don't know uh, uh, any Arabic at all. Uh, but this journey was so interesting and, and there was something there was a, there was a story that happened on this journey to Gero that changed my life. It, it, it was a simple thing, but it changed my life entirely. We were, we, were, we were driving for a long time, hours, hours, and it's, it's really difficult terrain. You know, the, the, you're driving in the desert next to the road and the car is just bumping up and down and you're bumping up in the, in, in the seat. And we pull over on the side of the road and there's a, there's a tent. Like kind of a little bit off in the distance and so we walk over to the tent we sit down and there's a there's a there's a couple there's a man and and a woman that come out and they're making tea uh and they bring us tea and then i can hear kids you know young kids crying uh in 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 the background um and and i I wasn't sure why no one seemed to be alarmed and so it wasn't that big of a deal to me but we're there and you know we're 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 drinking uh tea and then they they bring these wooden bowls out that just they're full of, of of milk right? They're full of milk. And and so, you know, Mauritanian culture, you're just going to pass the bowl around drinking the milk. Uh, and I, I didn't realize at the time, but it was it was fresh camel milk. And so, you know, they gave it to me and, and I drink. Um, it, made, it wasn't my favorite. I'm just going to say that it was, it was, it was warm. <laughs> it was the first time I've ever had warm milk drinking out of a, a wooden bowl. Uh, but they, they kept, you know, you know pushing me like drink 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 and so i would drink and this is like no, no more 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 and so then I would drink until until you drink the the, the whole thing and we stay there maybe like an hour or so um but i just remember those kids like really really the kids really 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 wailing and and and, and crying um later on as I pick up the language a little bit, and and when I'm there, I I find out that that was just them, their hospitality and Mauritanian culture. And the kids were hungry. And that's why they were crying. But there was no way that they they were going to let guests come and not feed them. And when I found that out, that that was was what was going on, I wept. Because i had never seen anything like that, like Mm -hmm. as a young kid in, in the States, you know, like, yeah, like I'm used to going to friends' houses and so like, hey, you want to go? And like, yeah, just hold on, just finishing up dinner with my family, just hang out in the living room. That's the kind of you know, that I grew up with. But here is this family willing to let their kids go, go, go hungry, you know? And I'm, I'm, I'm more than certain, you know, because I've told this story before, and people are like, what? That's so mean. No, I'm sure their kids ate. Yeah, but just at that time when we were there, we they wanted to serve us the 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 milk and so that was like kind of my first lesson in akhlaq right and in adab and in and just really really um just sound you know muslim muslim culture so we leave that tent and we're, and, and we're and we're driving and then you know this is another thing that I just I'll never forget is that you know we we it's dark now it's like pitch black there's no street lights you're out in the middle of the desert and we pull over on the side of the road Um, there's several people with us in the, in the, we're in like a helix truck, you know, so there's several people in the back of the truck. And then we get out uh, the driver and a couple of people walk maybe 10 yards off of the road and they just lay down in the sand. They pull their thobe, the more like the long flowing thobes they pull it over their head and they just go to sleep. They start to sleep. And I was just like, what the heck is going on? And so Sheikh Khatri just grabs me by the hand, and pulls me over. He lays down, and he, that like kind of motions for me to 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 lay in A lot of hand gestures, you know, that were, <laughs> with their speech, you know, he motions to me to to lay down. And then he pulls his thobe over his head and goes to sleep. And I was like, oh, okay, we're 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 sleeping here. All right. And so uh, I pulled my 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 thobe over my head as well. And then I remember rustling around and waking up in the, in the middle of the night. And um, I looked up. And, you know, I'd never really been, you know, out in a place where there were no lights before, you know, I'd been camping and stuff like that, but they're still not too far from the city. So you could still, but this now I'm looking up and I can see the Milky Way. Like I can see the galaxy and I can see more stars than I ever knew existed. Right. And I, and I just wept, you know, because for me, it was the first time that I've, You know, I'm I'm a Muslim now, and so I'm feeling new things. Faith is new for me. But it was the first time that I felt the the magnitude, the greatness of Allah. Like, you know, because what I'm looking at is huge and it's vast and Allah is way bigger and way vaster. And so I wept, you know, because I had never, ever experienced anything uh, like that at all. Um, then morning comes, we make our way to, to the city and, and where, where Sheikh Khatri is. We meet his, his family. And then I, I, I just start kind of living life in, in Mauritania. I would wake up with the kids in the morning. Uh, they would help me with my, I got a wooden tablet. They would help me learn how to make the ink with charcoal and, 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 and meshing it with the water and, and stirring it. And they would help me write, you know, ayahs of the Quran on my on my um, tablet. I didn't know how to read the connected letters yet. I, I just knew the individual letters. And so they would just read it, read it, and then I'd just repeat after them. Um, and then I, I learned, you know, my first surahs that I'd ever learned um, in in Islam, I learned there uh, in, in Mauritania uh, then. And I would just study with the children in the morning. Um, some of them would take me by the hand and just walk me around and just point at things and tell me like, shajirah, like that's a tree. Uh, that's jidar, That's a wall. And, and so that's how I learned. It. And within about three weeks, uh, I was I was speaking their local dialect enough to have, you know, brief conversations and express myself. A little, you know, I wasn't talking about quantum physics or anything like that, but I was able to express myself. I was able to say things like I miss my family, you know. Um, but it was it wasn't easy. The environment was hard because, you know, the, the first two weeks before I was able to speak at all, I was in my head for the first time in my whole life. I had nothing to distract me. You know, I had no you know music to listen to, no movies to watch. I brought two books with me and I think I, I read them probably 15 times each while I was in Mauritania, just out of pure, you know, boredom with nothing, nothing, nothing to do. And so it was it was difficult, but it, I think it was kind of a necessary purge for me. Mm-hmm. Um, to 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 learn how to be alone, to learn you know how to be in 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 a, in a different environment, and I just I fell in love you know, and so that kind of started me you know my trajectory of just I'm gonna study you know I I, I wanna I wanna travel I wanna meet more people like this I wanna meet the sages I wanna meet the scholars that Sheikh Hamza is always talking about I wanna meet you know these these people and live in these environments and um, you know that that was the beginning for me.
1: Um Can you talk about that journey of, you know going to, to find these these sages? I mean, you go all over the place. you go to Morocco, Syria, um, then you go to Spain, Liverpool, and then you end up in, in Um What takes you from place to place?
0: So I blame I blame Sheikh Yahya Rhodus. <laughs> <laughs> he 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 he's the reason why why I left why I originally left uh, Mauritania. Um, I joke. Uh, I say I blame him, but I but I I I'm honored uh, <laughs> that I was able to travel uh, around with, with with someone like uh, like Sheikh Yahya. Sheikh Yahya is an amazing um, scholar, uh, a dear friend, and, a, and just a great companion. alhamdulillah. So so Yahya when I'm in Mauritania, Yahya comes about a, a, a about a month and a half after I was there. Um, he he arrives. We intended to go together, but he had some stuff to to, to finish up um, before he was able to leave. I think it was called. I think he was still in university, and so he had to finish. Um, I think the semester before he could come, which is why he he didn't get to come till the summer. Um, so he comes, and then when he comes, we go out to meet Marat al Haj alayh uh, Hamu uh, for the for the first time. Um, and then we also, on the way to go to al Hajj, we, we stopped and we and we visited Sheikh Murabit Ahmed Fal, who also just recently passed. Allah uh, bless him and, and, and forgive him and, and bestow His mercy upon him, expand his his grave. Um, and so we met him, and, and this was an interesting experience for me because you know, again, a lot. Of, I'm coming to Islam from 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 atheism, and so there are still things in Islam in terms of islamic spirituality that are difficult for me right mm-hmm. there's still things that are they feel a bit fantastical to me you know um and so but when we met uh, murabid ahmed fal um i remember getting down off of the truck and then walking into his his tent and then seeing him for the first time ah, subhanallah I had never seen another human being like this like never seen a being like this ever like his 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 skin was 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 very red Allah but he had nur like like just leaking in every direction out of him i had never seen anything like it like 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 glowing like it reminded me of when they talk about the prophet muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam like his his face on a dark night was like the Badr. it was like a full moon you know and 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 this was something that I, I kind of likened at that moment i didn't know that then but now when i look back it's like i get that like that makes sense to me because i've seen so, noor like that on, on someone was uh but when we when we go to greet him um you know I, when i shook his hand i shook his hand and i felt like there was an electric charge that went through my body like it almost like i got shocked type of thing but it wasn't painful but i felt an electric charge in my body and and i kind of looked around to see like did anybody just see that Okay. No one's doing nothing. All right. That was just your imagination. Cool. All right. You're good. You're safe. No big deal. And then, so we met him and we stayed there for a little bit. Um, um, we visited with him for a little bit. And then we get back in the the truck to go out to where Murat al-Hajis. And then when we we're in the truck, Sheikh Yahya uh, grabs my arm and he goes, bro, did you feel that? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, what? He said, did you feel like, like electricity when you shook his hand? And I was like, subhanAllah, I did. And then that for me, uh, you know, because I trust Yahya unequivocally, you know, and so for me, then, you know, a lot of these things in the spiritual path be- start to become real, you know, for me uh, at that point. So we we go out to meet uh, Maratul Hajj and we stay out there for, for a little bit, and you know, alhamdulillah, I was really, uh, really grateful to Allah to allowing me to, to spend some time and to, to read with Sheikh Marabd al-Hajj, um, which is, you know, something amazing. He's got, you know, all these fuqaha that he's, that have studied under him, that he's created, you know, throughout the world. Like, you're talking the, the you know, the, the pinnacle of scholarship of our age, you know, mm-hmm. have studied with him, like these these great luminaries. And and here I am, this this American kid from Sacramento, California, and the Bay Area, California. And I I show up with my wooden tablet that's got like the alphabet on one side <laughs> and it's just got like Surtal ikhlas I think, and you know, maybe Falak on, on on the other side. And, you know, but I read it with him. You know, I, I was blessed to be able to sit and 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 he he, it wasn't like, come on, man, I'm an advanced teacher what are you doing? He took the time, and and, and and he allowed me to just read, you know, whatever little bit that I knew uh, with him, alhamdulillah. So, Yahya and I realized that, that, you know, after some time there, that, you know, this is going to be a little bit difficult if we don't study the language formally. Mm-hmm. If, if we don't really study Arabic formally and get grammar and get sarf and these things down, we'll be able to speak here, but how much in depth are we going to be able to go into, into our studies? And so, we actually call Sheikh Hamza. We go to, we we actually, after we, we left from up to Hajj's village and got back to Sheikh Hatriz after you know, some time, we eventually end up calling Sheikh Hamza uh, and explaining to him like, hey, we think it's going to be difficult for us to get the language here. And I remember exactly what Sheikh Hamza said. Sheikh Hamza, his response was, I told you that. I told you so before you went. I told you it was going to be difficult. So here we are, these two, you know, <laughs> kids in Mauritania being told, told you so. Uh, but Sheikh Hamza was going to be at the uh, the dean intensive in Nottingham, England, the Ibn Abbas dean intensive that Sheikh Ibrahim Osiyefa from, from Liverpool was putting on, and so we decided to make our journey there uh, to meet Sheikh Hamza to go to go there. And then Yahya and I had decided we're we're going to go to um, to Syria, we're going to go to Damascus and get Arabic first, and then go back to Mauritania. So that journey we, we ended up going to Spain first. We we took we, we we walked, we took a donkey, we took a train, rented a car, we flew, a boat, uh, tr- uh, a bus, every possible form of, of transportation we took on this journey. And we get to um to to Spain with Sheikh Abdul and this is really becomes it, it, it this is where it like everything Kind of comes together for us because, um, because of me playing soccer in Mexico for so long and growing up playing, playing soccer in, in, in Mexican and in Spanish leagues, I spoke uh uh, uh Spanish with semi fluency, right? And because Sheikh Abdurrahman was living in Spain, he was fluent in Spanish, so now we're able to really communicate with them. <laughs> and so, you know, we're there with Sheikh Abdurrahman, uh, al Hajj's uh son, and we spend some time there in Spain with him. Um, we study a little bit there uh, with him, and then we make our way to, to, to Nottingham, uh, England, to that first Dean Intensive. And this is where we meet Sheikh Ibrahim Osieffa for the, for the first time. Um, and Sheikh Ibrahim had just come back from uh, Mauritania, um, I think, a, a year, maybe that same year. That same year, where they went to the Dora, yeah, I believe they had just come back from the Dora, the very first Dora in 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 Tarim, Yemen, and I believe he went with Sheikh uh, Yahya, Sheikh Abdul Karim Yahya, mm-hmm. and um, Imam Jamaluddin Haysa. I think it was the three of them that went together. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe they were the very first Americans uh, to 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 ever go to a formalized program in Dara Mustafa in Yemen. There had been, I think, like Ali Keeler. Brother Ali Keeler from the UK uh, and another brother, I think maybe Mustafa Jalani from from Canada, but I think they were the first Americans, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken. Um, but Sheikh Ibrahim had brought back um, some cassette tapes with Ahbab Mustafa and the the, the firqa of, of Tareem, like these these nasheed groups, and we just we fell in love with it. And then Sheikh Ibrahim was telling us stories of his time there and and of the people that he had he had uh, he had met there and had spent time there. And Yahyeh and I decided that okay, we're we're going to go to Damascus for a little while and, and and study until we get Arabic, and then we're going to go to Tarim uh, and study in Dara Mustafa. So that that's how uh, Dara Mustafa and, and Tareem come into play. It was really through uh, Sheikh Ibrahim Osiyefa and us spending time with him and him him telling us about it, and us just kind of really just falling in love through uh, Sheikh Ibrahim with what we 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 were we were hoping we would attain at some point in, in Tareem.
1: Beautiful. Thank you. Um, can you talk? Oh, we got like a hint of it, but can you just talk about your travel companion, Yeah, yeah, Rhodus, and um, and what was it like experiencing this journey alongside each other?
0: Sure. Uh, you know, yeah, yeah, mashallah is a, is a is a lifelong friend. I get to be a little bit honorary with him because I'm older, <laughs> and so you know he has to respect his elders. Uh, but he is far, far by by far my superior. Um, when it comes to uh, when it comes to to technology, it reminds me of the, the of the theater when people would would, would be asked about the Prophet, "Is he older, or are you older?" And, and I'm, I am. I was born before Yahya, but Yahya is much greater uh, than I am. Yahya is one of my my teachers and, and, a, and a dear friend. Um, Yahya is very serious, you know. And you know he 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 was always very serious when it came to the acquisition of of knowledge much more serious than 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 I am which is which is why I'm known as brother Mustafa and he's known as Sheikh Yahya, yeah, it's very clear the difference between us in our capabilities and in academia and in studies but he was always very serious and 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 he, and he took things very very serious and he did what you know I, I won't even single him out you know but, but most of my 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 peers who I'm blessed to call peers. The likes of, 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 of Sheikh Yahya, the likes of Sheikh Ibrahim, of Sheikh Abdul Karim, of Sheikh uh, Jamal Adin, Sheikh Fayez Qureshi, and, you know, all of these these, these these people who I had spent time with in, in Tarim, they are all very, very serious students and all very serious uh, scholars, alhamdulillah, much more serious than them than I was at that uh, at that time. Um, but, yeah, he was a good travel companion. You know we were we were young kids from California. We had no idea what we were doing. Um, we fumbled a lot, had a lot of bad adab, uh, um i'm I'm sure. Um, and then, you know, we did end up after after Nottingham, after that dean intensive, we we went back to the United States for a little bit before we head out to to Damascus. And when we went back, Sheikh Abdullah, uh, ben Marabid Ahmed Fal was there, who was Marabtul Allah Allahyarhamu, his grandson, and uh, the son of of Sheikh Marabid Ahmed Fal Allah and he was there in in the Bay Area at that time. And they put him up in an apartment. And then when Yahya and I got back, we basically we just lived with him. So it was it was Sheikh Abdullah, uh, myself, and, and and Sheikh Yahya all in this this apartment. And we would just study with him. We would sit with him. We would serve him, and we just basically lived in this uh, in this in this apartment with him. And that was really, really, um, ben- really, really beneficial. You know, one one of the things that I think that that is missed in, in in our age is the amount of knowledge that you can get, or the amount of benefit that you can get from watching someone and just being around them. Right? they li- what they call the lisan al hal, right? The, the 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 tongue of their state, right? that the, that their state speaks for them, and so just being around someone like Sheikh Abdullah, or like Sheikh Khatri or even the, the likes of you know that that we're blessed to be around the likes of like Sheikh Hamza, the Imam Zaid, the Doctor Omar's, the Doctor Jackson's, and the Sheikh Abdul Hakim Rads, and these people that we've been blessed to spend time with, is that their their states uh, speak louder than than words, and so even though you know we were we were living with Sheikh Abdullah, just watching him in his daily practice. Um, was, was was amazing. alhamdulillah. So we we stayed there for for a little bit in, in, in California. Um, you know, uh, I'm 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 doing this with a very gracious, uh, generous wife because uh, I was married before. I got married before I left to Mauritania. Um, in fact, um, if if you want to attest to the type of, of of saint that my wife is, Allah bless her and protect her um, we got married five days before I left on this journey to Mauritania. And, and then, so I spent my honeymoon with Yahya. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and you no, know, so we, we get back then. and then we end up, Yahya and I end up going to, going to Damascus. Now we would go together. I think Yahya went first. And then I follow with my, with my family, uh, uh, to, to Damascus, but before we get to Damascus, um you know I believe we got to Damascus in 1999 we end up as a as a group of of people who converted together in 90s in the in the mid to late 90s in California we do Hajj our first Hajj in 1998 mm-hmm. and we do Hajj with Sheikh Hamza and I believe Sheikh Khatri had come back to the states um in the meantime after he had been in Mauritania for a while and then we do Hajj with, with Sheikh Khatri. No, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm mistaken. Sheikh Abdullah does Hajj with Sheikh Hamza, but Sheikh Khatri meets us there in Medina Manawara from Mauritania. Mm-hmm. Um and so we, we do Hajj, you know, with this whole group of people from, from from the Bay Area. It's it's a it's it's like 15 to 20 of us uh all come to to together. And then this ends up being where we meet Habib Omar, Sayyidina Habib Omar for the first time. Uh, We meet him in Medina Manorah. There was a gathering that they had one evening. They were doing a molid. I didn't know what a molid was. I don't think any of us did really uh, at that time. But I just remember where it was in Medina. And I remember getting close to the house and just hearing the salawat being, and how that felt. And then I remember walking into the majlis. We all walked in together. All of us, Yahya was with us. All these, the, the, the Westerners are there. And we walk into this majlis together. And I just remember just seeing just white everywhere. Everyone's in white thobes and white jubbas and turbans and, and everyone has like like shawls and it just, everyone looked really beautiful. And it just seemed, it was like so majestic and they, they looked like angels uh, to me. Um, and there was a group of, of scholars sitting on one wall and there's all these different groups of, of, of students sitting sitting everywhere. And I just remember the, the way they treated us. Like they would, they were, it was just, They honored us so much, and I'd never seen anything like it. Like they were so concerned about our well-being. Like you come here, sit here with us, and you here, and we all kind of got split up, and everyone's like just sitting us, and they're all like talking with us. And you know, there's there's nasheed going on. And then I remember we were looking at the 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 mashiach, the the senior Mashaikh that were sitting on the on the wall, and we kept saying like that's happy bomber because we hadn't seen him before. We had never seen a picture of him. Like that one's happy bomber with the long white beard. That has to be him. Look at how long his beard is. He looks so you know, scholarly, that's him, mashallah. And then when, when Habib gets up to to speak, the students are, hadahu, hadahu, Habib Omar. and like, he was so young, you know, at that time, <laughs> this is, he was so young, I was like, wait, that's, that's, mashallah, that's Habib Omar, that's, mashallah. And so, you know, we, we have our meal, we, we eat there, and then after we go and we, we meet Habib Omar for the first time, and you know, so you know, we, we've obviously gotten a little bit more Arabic by this time, so we can communicate with with them a little bit. And so, when it was my turn to 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 meet Habib, I sat with him and I said, you know, I said, Habib, I want to come study with you. I want to come to to Tarim. You know, do you give me permission to come to Tareem? And he just kind of like put his head back and he looked at me and kind of gave me that the 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 the, the up down look like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like super nervous, like he's gonna say no. Uh, but he said, you'll come. He said, you will come, you and your two sons. And then I was like, oh, okay, mashallah. And then I walked away and I was like, man, he thinks I'm someone else. Because I don't have two sons. So like how, like he he must, like, well, oh, he didn't really give me permission. And then subhanAllah, by the time we end up going to Yemen was shortly after my second son was born. So I actually did go to Tareem. Me and my two sons ended up uh, ended up in, in, in Tareem. And so that's how we met. Um, Habib was the first time I had met him. It was the first time Yahya had met him. The first time most of us had met him, and I think it's, it's it's important that Sheikh Hamza was the one that took us there to that majlis Sheikh Hamza is the one that introduced us uh, all of us uh, to the to the Habayib. And at one point, in in you know, I, w- I was we were with Habib Ali at Jeffrey at one point, and Habib Ali was very clear with us. He says, Like had it not been for Sheikh Hamza, none of you would have would have known us you know so all of our stories converge at some point with uh, with Sheikh Hamza and him kind of putting us on this path to to seeking knowledge him putting us on this path to 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 you know travel and to, to not be scared just to you know he would always say, just leave it leave it behind tawakkal allah trust in allah and and, and then and then just go and so alhamdulillah that's how we started and that's how we met Habib Omar
1: so while you're um, studying at the Al Mustafa you um you also get the opportunity to work very closely uh, with Habib Ali, can you talk about that experience and and some of the work that you guys were doing together?
0: Sure, you know that that kind of happened. You know, it was kind of happenstance. You know, I would say it on accident, but obviously nothing happens by accident. <laughs> but it wasn't intended, at least on, on on my part. You know, I felt like at one point, you know, I'm not I'm not very studious, right? I'm not really an academic. And so studying was never easy for me. And, and this isn't to dismiss the hard work that goes into mm-hmm. like all my peers and how much effort that they put into it. It's just that I wasn't inclined towards that, you know? And so it, you know, even just sitting down and, and, and reading a book um, was, was difficult for me. It just, my intention spam was all over the place. I just didn't grow up as an, as an academic. It didn't come from an academic, academic family, but at some point, while well, when we're in Tareem, uh, I kind of find my groove. I, I had a program that was developed for me where I would end up, I would go to Dar al Mustafa, you know, uh, before Fajr. And then I had to stay in the Dar until after Isha. And that was my program every day. I wasn't allowed to go home uh, to my family until after Isha. So I would do the whole program um, in the Dar. And I, I had a room there. And so I would sleep where the students slept. And I, and I did the whole thing. And after, you know, a few months or so, I felt like I found my groove. You know, I was like, okay, I'm, I can I, I think I can study, you know, I think I'm I'm retaining this a little bit, I'm getting a little bit better, I think I can I think I can do this. And it started to feel kind of natural to me, you know. And so in the middle of all of that, um some some dear brothers of mine, uh, Hassan Sidki and, and Khalil Moore, for those that know them, they were they were, you know, translating for the for the for Habib Omar, translating lectures. You know, um, they would translate when there was a dota or when anybody came from the West, they would they would be translators for them. And they started a, a company called Guidance Media. And they were and they had a they had a magazine called Guidance Magazine. And this is kind of like how they were they were producing cassette tapes and VHS tapes, and that's how old long ago I was, right? <laughs> and, then, and most people, people listening might not even know what a VHS tape is. <laughs> but they were they were, you know, producing producing those. And um, it was known that that I had a background in, in 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 art and in in management. Um, and so, you know, th- I was asked to, to kind of help them. And and they were doing it under the auspices of Habib Ali Jifri. And so Habib Ali asked me if I would be willing to go and help them do this. But this would mean that I would have to go back home to the States because they had gone back home at this point and were, and were working in this khidma. And, and serving their teachers through these translations in, in this company. So this meant that I was going to have to go back to, to, to the east coast of Virginia for, for a while. And that actually ended up happening. I actually ended up going for almost seven months. Um, and, and again, this is a testimony to, 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 to who my, my wife is and, and, and her resilience. This is in a time before Skype, before instant messaging. You know, this is when we were still calling each other on calling cards when you could get it, when you got a chance to. So I was literally gone seven months without visiting Tareem when we were doing, when we were starting Guidance Media. So, they, you know, I'm in Tareem and then they ask, you know, if, if I can help. And, and so I, I went to Habib Omar and and I said, I, you know, they're, they're, they're asking if I can go do this, but I I, I don't want to. Right? I want to stay here. I want to finish. I want to finish my studies. I felt like I'd finally found a groove, you know, that, that this is something that's a that's possible for me. And I gave this long excuse, like because you know my Arabic's not great at that time, and so I'm, I'm I you know it, it took a long time to plan out what I was going to say, <laughs> you know, to, to Habib in, in kind of like my quasi complaint about like they wanted to pull me from my studies, and so I gave this whole kind of speech, and at the end of it, he just said, "Do what Ali tells you to do," and so I was just like kind of broken hearted, like okay, Subhan, I guess I'm going to have to go and do what Habib Ali says, and and that's how I started. That's how I started. Um, uh, doing that. And, and I think Habib could see that I was, um, I was worried, you know, because up, up until that time, you know, especially after, you know, being with Sheikh Hamza and, and being with the Mauritanians, I really carried the belief that if you were a serious Muslim, you had to become a scholar. Like if the scholar is a good Muslim and the laity is, is not as good as the scholar. I really believed that at that time. And so I felt like this was a decision for me to not be as good of a Muslim. If I do this, like I'm not going to be able to have that that possibility to be as good of a of a of a of a Muslim, and I think Habib Omar sensed that uh, a bit, and he told me, he said, "This is going to be your path. This is how you, this is going to be how you serve." is through this work, is through this, through this art, through your art, through the through the dawah. And I think that gave me some solace. You know, that gave me some 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 peace of mind. And then in retrospect now, I know for sure that that, that has helped me immensely because I haven't had the same level of angst that a lot of Muslim artists have had of this kind of like di- dichotomy and this push and pull between faith and their art. Like for for me it's kind of always been synonymous. it's always been symbiotic. It's always been something that is, has been you know, meshed together. And I think that's just because of Habib Omar's graciousness and, and, and kind of telling me that. Um, so it wasn't as difficult for me at that point. But that's how I start working um, in media uh, at that point. And, and, and so when I get back from, um, you know, Virginia... Uh, after we're doing we're doing guidance media habib ali makes a trip to california in, in the meantime and i think 2002 he makes a trip where he journeys all around california and so we're there and helping him with that and then we're re- recording that and then making tapes and and things and and um and then i remember even when we when we transferred the tapes to dvd um it, it was it was one of the first like lectures that had ever been put out on a on a, on a dvd in the west and, and I, I remember that moment we did. it, And then, you know, we did that for a while. And then I end up going back to Tareem uh, for some time. And then Habib Ali starts the Taba Foundation, a research center uh, in Abu Dhabi, and asks, you know, myself and, and Hassan Sidki to, to come out there and help him to run the media division for him. Uh, and then so we end up leaving Tareem in 2005, my family and I, and we go out to to Abu Dhabi to start working at, at the Taba Foundation uh, with, with Habib Ali. and. We're there for, I think, you know, another four, four, four and a half years um, working there, just working in, in in media, creating, you know, lectures and at this, you know, doing stuff in TV. And in the meantime, I had gone to to film school um, to get further training and come back. And I'd made a couple of films now. And then I think in 2008, maybe mid-year 2008, um, we ended up moving back to uh, to California, my family and I. And then that's where I started my own my own company and then and, and kind of just doing my own media work. And then I end up doing kind of da'wah work for a lot of, uh, of organizations. I remember Habib Ali was very clear about wanting us to work with everybody and, and just help wherever there was, there was khair. And so that's kind of how, um, media became, I just became my path. It just became, it became my path. It became my, my career at the same time.
1: Awesome. Thank you. Um, Can you talk a little bit about what it was like to spend so much time with Habib Ali, Um, you know, I'm sure at times like on a day-to-day basis.
0: Yeah, that's hard to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It is because, I, you know, one, you don't feel uh, worthy of it, you know. Um, and then two, because if you're not still in that state, if you're not still working with them in that level of proximity, it, it's it's there's you long for that, you know, you 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 long for that, you know. And there were there were several several of us in Abu Dhabi at that time from the West, you know, Sheikh Jihad Brown was there, Sheikh Waleed uh, Musaad was there, um, Sheikh Musa Ferber was there, you know, myself and a lot of the brothers, Imam Dawud Yasin uh, was there at that time, a lot of brothers from the West, and we and we got a lot of time. Uh, with Habib Ali, you know, when we were there, I, I've spent much more time with Habib Ali than I have with my own, you know, direct Sheikh Habib Omar, um, just by proximity of the, of the work. But it was one of those things, you know, where you get to see the teachings of the Habayib and the teachings of your of your Sheikh, you know, your teacher, put into action, you know, because you know Habib Ali is one of Habib Omar's top students, and now you're seeing him apply all of these things from the Makasa al Falasa of uh, Makasa which is like the minhaj of the of Darul Mustafa, you know, the of, of ilm saluk and, and dawa of, of, of knowledge and you know tasawwuf, a spiritual path, and then you know proselytizing and, and giving the, the the message. You get to see that put in practical use um, as you know through this through this research center. And I got to spend you know you know time and, and you know with the, when you have that proximity, you have that level of time, you get to explain a lot about yourself. They you know about your life. You get to know about theirs. And one thing I would say is that you know the longer you're with these people, and I won't single Habib Ali out here, but even like the likes of of, of Habib Omar and that whole da'ira, Habib Omar, you know, you know Habib Ali, you know Habib Qadim, Habib Habib Hashim Sheikh Omar Khatib, you know all of these 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 people who spent a lot of time and in, in, in proximity with, with with Habib Omar, you know you the longer you are with them, the more in awe you are of them. You know, the more you see of them, the more because you get to see them in real life situations. You know, Um, you get to see them when when things don't go well. You get to see them when you know plans fall through, and you get to see how they act and and how you know. So I, I feel really fortunate in that that I was able to to witness these type of of scenarios and these major major life lessons for me. Uh, I feel like. It, it really really just grateful to Allah because again I'm not studious you know I'm not an academic I can't do what Yahya and Sheikh Yahya and Sheikh Ibrahim and and, and, and Sheikh Yahya and Sheikh uh, Abdul Karim Yahya and Jamaluddin all these guys do I just I don't have that I'm I'm just not scholarly you know I don't have the discipline uh for it but I feel like Allah allowed me to learn by watching he allowed me to learn by seeing you know, these these great luminaries in, in action, and I'm forever, forever grateful for it. So, you know, there are people who, you know, like if you, we have friends and we all have siblings and, you know, like in, in, in normal kind of like dunyue relationships, the more you're around someone, the more you're gonna get on their nerves, they're gonna get on your nerves, the more you're gonna see their flaws, the more they're gonna see and you're gonna be like, oh, you're not that great, right? Like, you know, like if anybody be like, oh, Mustafa, you're, you're this or you're that. The, that's your opinion because you don't spend a lot of time with me. If you ask my wife, she's just gonna be like, "Yeah, right." We, we know him. We really know him. But with these people, with these people that are around this kind of diet or this circle of the of the habayah, the the more I spent time with them, the more I spend time with them, the more in awe I am of them. And so that was my experience with 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 Habib Ali as well. Like just seeing him in the day to day. Um, it was kind of like the lessons that I was learning in, 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 in Dharam Mustafa, the lessons we were being taught about, put into to action. And so I'm eternally grateful for that experience.
1: So, uh, you know, you had um, you filmed and directed a diversity of projects um, that have you know gotten worldwide attention, been shared interna- on international networks. Are there any particular projects that, um, you know, that you're really proud of or that have always stuck with you looking back?
0: Yes, alhamdulillah. So, you know, as an artist, you're you're attached to, to kind of everything that you do. Um, projects are kind of like children in, in a sense. My, my <laughs> kids are going to hear this and get upset with me. Um, but you, you, you are, you know, you, they're all important to you for different reasons. Um, you know, maybe they represented a specific phase that you were in in your life, or maybe they represent, you know, an element of your heart that you're trying to express through your art. So they're all Im- Im- important to you. But I think if I were to choose one, that was maybe the most impactful on me uh, personally, um, it would be my very first feature film. Now, I hope nobody goes and looks it up because it's absolutely horrible. It's absolutely horrendously horrible. Um, It could be used as an example of how not to make a feature film. (laughs) So it might be surprising to people why that one's the most important to me. Um, But I think it's because of the experience of making it. in, it, it was it, it's a film that we did called common ground uh and it was a film that i did featuring Habib Ali um there were other you know the, many other characters in it like, you know Amer khalid was in it Tariq soydan was in it um you know um, dr jonathan brown was in the film but what it was was a film that that we made that had happened just after the danish cartoon crisis mm-hmm. if anybody remembers that like that was a big thing uh back then and, and and Habib Ali was really involved in that process and in, in, in helping people understand it and in and in the rectification of it. So he he actually goes to Denmark twice to speak with politicians and dignitaries there. And and I was blessed to be able to travel with him to do this. And and so and then they brought a delegation from Denmark to uh, Abu Dhabi as well. Um, uh, many of them non-Muslims, you know, to just understand it and to to engage with the Muslim community. So there's a couple of reasons why this one's the most important to me, or why it's maybe the most Im- impactful. One is that it's my first, right? It's my first, my first feature film is the first thing that I'm doing after I get out of, out of film school. Um, and so there's, there's, there's a lot of nostalgia in that. And, and, and just, you, you invoke those feelings that you had of angst and fear and, you know, here I am doing it, you know, and there's a happy values in the film, like, what if it's just horrible? And unfortunately, for him, it ended up being horrible. But, you know, just, you know, traveling with him, but watching how, you know, he was so gracious in dealing with these people who just didn't really understand Islam uh, at the time. And then just, you know, being able to, to witness that and to, to, to be able to, to travel you know, with him and, to, and, and with all the people that were involved uh, in, that, in that process and to see that whole process, that film still really, really sits uh, really close to, to my heart. I think that would be um, uh, number one. Um, number two would be my second film, my second feature film. The, the Common Ground film ended up being shown in, on Arab TV uh, I, I don't remember the channel at, uh, offhand right now, uh, but the, 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 the film that I did on um, HIV AIDS orphans in uh, Africa, in Malawi, called The Warm Heart of Africa, we, we actually never ended up re- releasing this film. It's actually still unfinished. Um, but this film was important to me just because of the, the the topic. It was the first time that I realized that as a Muslim artist, that my art didn't have to necessarily be Overtly Islamic. Now, what I mean by that is that it didn't have to be themed Islamically. Like, I didn't have to make a a film called Why I Wear Hijab or The Understanding of Jihad, right? Like, this is, it was a film about HIV, AIDS orphans, and the majority of the people in the film are actually Christian. Um, and it's, it's, it's a, it's a, but it's a topic that, that is important to the, the entire world, especially you know, when we talk about orphans and the fact that our Prophet Muhammad himself was orphaned. Um, this showed me that this was kind of the film that showed me like, okay, my, I, I can be me, I can be who I am and I can create art that is beneficial to the ummah that is still kind of uh, keeping in line with what my teachers want me to do but following different themes. And so I think those two films for me are the ones that stuck uh, closest to me. And, and ironically, you know, you, you mentioned in the question that I, I've had films and Alhamdulillah by Allah's grace, films that have won some awards. We've had films that have been you know, shown to millions of people on PBS and then on POV and you know, The the Atlantic, WNET 13 and, and these type of you know, Western stations. But the two films that are most important to me are, are one that no one's seen and the other film, which is probably my my worst film that very few people have seen.
1: Um, Thank you, thank you so much. Um, Can you talk generally about Mustafa Davis Studios? What kind of stories um, are you aiming to tell uh, using photography and film? And then specifically um, when you're photographing or filming scholars, um, you know, I think a lot of your work captures this both majestic, but also soft human side of them. What are you aiming to
0: capture? MashaAllah. So I, you know, with the, with the studio, it's, what I hope to do with my art is to, the reason I went into documentary film um, as opposed to just like script writing and working with actors, which we did in film school. But the reason I went into documentary film is that I wanted to tell stories that, that if I didn't tell them might otherwise go untold. And, because I learned very early as a, you know, I picked up photography very early. I started uh, as a photographer at age 11, because my, my stepfather um, was an amateur photographer. And so he had built a dark room in one of the closets of our house. And so at a very young age, I learned how to develop and I learned how to, you know, take take photos. And so, you know, very, very early on, um, you know, the, the art was it became a way that I that I that I learned to express myself uh, through through it, you know. So when it when it comes to the to the studio, you know, and in, in what I do now is that I learned that I you know if you if you take a photo of something, you 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 freeze it, you know, you freeze that moment in time, and then you can share that with 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 other people, and and other people can experience that that moment as well. And so I think you know, for me, I learned that if I point my camera at something. I can give it significance. And so I think I, I wanted to 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 tell stories that if I didn't focus on them, they might otherwise go un, untold. And I learned that you know you can you can you can make something significant if you, you know package it a certain way within the art and get people to pay attention to it you know and that's part of what the, the malawi film was you know it was i had never even heard of malawi when i before before i researched just to go do it go do a film there and then i end up doing a feature film about it and you know if that film goes and gets shown then those people can also experience that same thing so i think you know through the studio i wanted to tell stories um, I do. I want to tell stories that might not other, uh, otherwise go, go told. And I want to tell good stories, you know, and I want, I, I, I'm not, you, you won't find in, in, in a lot of my work, um, like, um, famous people, like, I'm not really interested in that, because I, I don't think that, you know, for me, everyone has a story. You know, everyone has something significant. So I think that's what I wanted to do with my with my art. I don't know if I've been successful in that. That's still a goal of mine as an artist. You know, to get to that point to where you're telling stories that resonate with people that they might not have heard about or known about had it not been uh, for you. And that's why I don't really prefer to do topical films like like major topical films or like current affairs or those things because people are aware of those things and and, and there's going to be a, a um, you know a, a host of, of of people who do that type of of, of of topic, you know, um, I, I like to kind of to focus on uh, maybe what what might be hidden to people for the for the most part, and so you know, for at least for, the, for my career for my work, that's what I hope that the focus is. Um, when it comes to, to 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 photographing scholars, my goal is is to well, well one, I'm usually scared. <laughs> when I'm photographing when I'm photographing scholars um especially when you you know when you're in close proximity uh to them because you know you it's just it's just a very daunting thing and I feel like it's a very heavy you know heavy responsibility what I'm I guess what I it's not something I really thought about to, a lot to be honest and so I'm kind of thinking it as I'm working it out as I'm, as I'm talking about but I think you know I, I hope to be able to show through my photos the the I hope to evoke a, f- a, a, a feeling, right? Like what it feels to be around uh, these scholars. What it feels like to be in their proximity. Uh, I want when people to see when people see the photos to to experience a, a, that, or at least a portion of that, uh, to to the best of my ability. And I don't know if I'm always successful. Uh, if I'm always successful in that. But this is why I prefer candid uh, photography. Like I don't do a lot, even like this, the photos that anybody will ever see of, 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 of scholars that have been, you know, blessed uh, to take, uh, they're, they're, they're not posed, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I'm not asking, you like, know, Sheikh, can you sit here and let me set up the light and then I'm going to take a, a portrait of you. 99% of the work that I do is candid, so even if they're a portrait, I'm doing a portrait, a real life portrait. Uh, and I just really believe in this. I believe that what happens in real life is much more interesting than what happens you know, when, when we concoct it ourselves or when we create a fiction uh, ourselves. And so I think a lot of the time when I'm photographing scholars, the, the thought process is more like trying to isolate to get a nice candid photo that people will appreciate later without having them stand still or without having them be like, I'm never going to say like, like I can't imagine ever doing that. Like saying to one of my teachers, Sheik, would you mind standing here against the wall? All right, hold on. Just like, I don't think I could ever do that. Uh, it's up to, too, too shy. I wouldn't want to take away from them. So I think, you know, just trying to catch them candidly and, and, and show the experience, you know, through, through the, uh, through the photo to the best of my ability to give people a feeling of like, this is what it's like to be around, these people, you know, um, I, I hope to document this, my, my age, and, and, and I don't mean as a photojournalist or as a documentarian, my, my, my I hope to document my experience of this age, right? Mm-hmm. I, I don't believe in objectivity and, and art. Uh, I think that that everything that we do as artists is, is subjective if I point my camera at a specific direction that's a subjective choice um if i if I exclude something in a shot that's a subjective choice and so I'm not trying to create kind of like a universal experience of this is the world I'm really just trying to photograph and film my experience of the of the world and hopefully people that will translate uh, something to people and there'll be something of, of benefit inshallah
1: um, so now you're in Turkey, Istanbul. Can you talk a little bit about shifting um, from California to Istanbul and what you're doing there?
0: Sure. So, you know, after after we left uh, Abu Dhabi in mid-2008 and went back to the to the States, part of the reason was, um, you know, I always knew or I figured at least that we would always be back in the States at some point because that's home. My parents are there. Um you know, so my wife and I always knew that at some point we would be back there. And so when we were in Abu Dhabi, our, our kids were getting a little bit older. I think my but when we left Abu Dhabi, my eldest son was was 10 and, and my daughter was uh, was six. And I was really worried about being overseas for for too long and then trying to make the transition back to the States with my children. Um, I didn't want them to be caught up in what, you know, what is, you know, the craziness of, of America through curiosity. So I, I wanted them to kind of grow up there in their formative years to kind of get it out of their, their system. At least that was the intention. It was discussion between my wife and I, and and we made the executive decision. Okay, let's, let's, let's just do it now. And so we went back and then, um, they, you know, we, we, we lived just kind of like a, a normal life back, back there. You know, I wasn't studying, you know, I don't think she was studying much either. And I was just working and just trying to establish my, my company. And then, you know, the, the kids get a little bit older. And then in, when it, when we hit 2017, um, an opportunity came up for us to come to, to Istanbul, uh, to work, you know, just my, my work was able to, I was able to move my work here. And there was a program that was being done here uh, called the Suhba Fellowship Program under the auspices of uh, Sheikh Mukhtar Mughrawi. And, and I had been working with Al-Medina Institute um, as, as one of my clients through my studio. And so the, the founding director, uh, Brother Mutasa Matiya, you know, said, hey, do you want to just come out to Istanbul for a year? Um, and you could just do the work that you're doing for us, but you just do it from there. He goes, and then you can get back to your studies. You know, you guys can get back into to studying full time and the whole family can join the, the studies. And so it was an opportunity where I was going to be studying together with my wife. Um, and then our kids were all going to be studying at the same time. What they wanted to do was create a family program uh, because you know oftentimes the you know the, there'll be a program, but the, the men will study, but the women aren't able to, or the women will study and the men aren't able to, or there'll be a program for children. but they're, they're, there's not always a program where everyone can kind of come together. Um, and so we would do that. We'd come together, we'd walk to, together to school in the morning. Um, We would all, you know, go to our own studies. My wife and I were actually in the same classes. Um, And then they would we would walk back home like we all became students again. And then I would I would work in the evenings. And and so that opportunity came up and we just we couldn't say no, you know, because once you, you know, again, I always had the desire to to, to pursue scholarship. I'm just really bad at it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm just you know like I'm the I'm one of those guys like on on American Idol you know sitting there before the judges and they just really want to be a good singer but no man you have no business singing you, someone <laughs> someone should have told you and I am that guy I'm the guy who have no business studying I have no business seeking sacred knowledge and you know and but I just I'm I'm that honorary guy who's just like no I'm going to do it I'm going to do it and so we were excited you know, to, to to get back to that and then to be able to do it in a way where I'm, I'm doing it through my work. And so there's not this kind of strange, you know, uh, dichotomy between my, my work life and then my 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 study life and then my home life. We're able to do it all together uh, at once. And so, you know, and, and if you know, if I'm honest, you know, from from our trajectory of you know being overseas and 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 studying and, and and working and these other things, it wasn't easy for us in the in the United States. That wasn't an easy time when we when we went back. And you know my kids you know became quintessential Americans. Uh, they had forgotten what life was like overseas. They didn't remember their time growing up in Yemen on the streets of Tahrir. They had forgotten you know life what life was like living in in Abu Dhabi. Um, and so, you know, they were and they were all my my they were all on their way to to being, you know, professional martial artists. You know, my son's a, a WBC belt holder in Muay Thai kick, kickboxing, uh, my daughter's a boxer, my 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 middle son's a boxer, and you know, that consumed life. That became their 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 life. And so when we came to Istanbul, I'm saying it from a place of nostalgia, but my my children came kicking and screaming. It wasn't their favorite. It wasn't, it wasn't like their plan and, and their goal. My son was just about to go professional. Uh, and so when they got here, you know, my wife and I are really happy to be back in our studies again. And it's like, you know, everything is awesome for us. And for them, it's like, where did you bring us? Like this, why are we here? There's no boxing. Like, how are we going to how are we going to live our live our lives? And so, but then you know what? Subhanallah, they 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 got into it. The, the program was great. They got into their to their studies, and they ended up ended up loving it. Um, to the extent now, you know, we're in. You know, we got here in 2017. It's 2021 now. And if you were to talk to my children, and, you know, ask, are you going to go back to the United States? I don't think any of them has has intention of of living in the United States. I think mm-hmm. Turkey's their home now, or they'll make their home here. Or maybe um, my middle son wants to go to Tareem to, to study in Darul Mustafa. And so, you know, for them, they're making their lives here. My oldest son is, is, is married now, um, and they live, they live right down the street from us here in, in Istanbul. And so coming here for us was like a, a step um, forward into the future, but also a step back into the nostalgia of the past for us. And alhamdulillah, we, we, we love it here. We, we really do. Just to be able to to do the work that I do, I'm, I'm really blessed you know, and and to be able to do the work that I do, uh, blessed to be able to 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 study, um, you know, at a, on a more serious level. I'm still a horrible student, but I'm I'm still showing up. I'm still I'm still showing up, hoping that that one day I just get that fat, you know. <laughs> but if not, then I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep pushing. And the benefit of having peers that I have, like 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 Sheikh Yahya, Sheikh Abraham and Sheikh Fays, and you know Imam Jamaldeen, Sheikh Abdullah Kareem, and so many others. Is that um, I don't really have to know much myself because I just they're they're my source of they're my books <laughs> you know they're my source of knowledge I'm just you know they're my Google they're my Islamic Google <laughs> you know like what's the answer to this guys this okay thanks man <laughs> alhamdulillah. so we're we we're, we're, um, we're blessed alhamdulillah. so so Istanbul came about just as a means of 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 of, of combining work family and our spiritual path together uh, in one. Whereas in the past, that's always been compartmentalized. And so this is a very new experience for us.
1: InshaAllah, thank you. Um, I just have one last question. Shall we close with this? Um, I'm sure like many others will be, I'm comforted by you talking about how you're maybe not the best student um, or (laughs) maybe not the most studious. Um, Uh, Can you share some advice for those that, um, you know, still want to seek this path, still have a passion for knowledge, um, or, you know, obviously still want to seek Allah, but maybe aren't the best students, maybe don't um, really want to become scholars, um, they have other career paths in mind, um, where, where, what are options for them? And, you know, how can they pursue that?
0: Allah, that's a beautiful question. That I say, you ask all my peers, and then go with whatever answer, <laughs> whatever answer they give you. I would say, you know, don't give up, right? Don't don't, don't give up. You know, at one point, Shafan and, and my nefs got the best of me, and 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 I wanted to give up. Um, and, and you know, I joke about it now, but there have been times where it's been difficult for me. You know, here I am. I set out on the same path as as, as my peers, and. You know, I didn't achieve what they achieved, and that's not easy. You know, especially if you if you if you have it at your at your heart in your heart the way that I did, it, it's not easy. You know, that was if that's your dream and then you can't achieve it, it, it it you know the the, the nefs can and the emotions can play with you, and 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 then Shaitan can come and tell you to just give up. And in the past, I have you know, if I'm honest, there's been there's been times where I just like I'm not going to study. I'm not a scholar. I'm just. I'm going to be, in fact, there was a time where I was, like, I'm just going to be an American. I'm just, that's what I'm going to do. I, I can't do that thing. I tried it. I failed. It's not for me. Um, but you have to just, uh, you know, f- f- my advice would be just don't give up. Don't give up. But also know that there's many paths, right? There, there's many paths, you know, to 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 Allah. Now, I haven't achieved what my peers have achieved, but like I get to, 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 to hang on to their coattails, you know? Um, like I always, I tell people, you like, just, just be, you know, like the, the, the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, Amaru al adin akhi, right? A man is on the religion of his companions, right? So you have to have good companions. If you have bad, if you have, I won't say bad companions, but you have people who are on a different trajectory than you, a different path than you. For example, if you are hanging out with a bunch of scuba divers, but you have desires to be a mountain climber, you're going the wrong direction right that, that's the that's the opposite direction than where you want to go if your goal is to reach the peak of a mountain then you have to be around mountain climbers and so really my my bounty and my fadl and my gift in this dunya has been the teachers that Allah has allowed me to be around and the peers that he's given me you know Um without any doubt and without any um just without any doubt whatsoever I'm the least of my peers, and so that benefits me. Like for for, for them, they gotta. That's poor them. Like they have to be. Rough. They have to be. They don't get to say the same thing. I get to say that. Like my peers are, are are better than me. So have really really good 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 companions, and then just and then stick to it. It's it's consistency. It's consistency. It's consistency. You know, I mentioned in 1999 we went to Syria to learn Arabic. Right, that's 1999. Uh, And I am now in 2021, and I'm studying Arabic, right? So I could have given up and just said, no, I didn't get it. I don't have the same level of saha that like Yahya, Sheikh Yahya, or Sheikh Abdul Karim have. I can't translate live for for Habib Omar, and I could just give up. Or I can just say, you know, knowledge is from the cradle to the grave. I'm going to keep going. Right, because in and at actions are by intention. So just keep, keep, keep going, and have have a small small portion that you do every day of of learning, um, regardless of what your career is. There's been times in my life where my career has has taken over and has been everything, and then my spiritual path has suffered. Right, and then there's times where I'm like, no, I can't do that. I'm going to focus on my spiritual path, and then my career has suffered. I feel like I'm now I finally found a way to kind of balance the the three, and that would be my advice: is, is just to find a, a balance. And if you're not studious, it doesn't mean that you can't study. If you're not studious, it doesn't mean that you can't surround yourself with people who are, and so that you can benefit from from, from that knowledge. Right? I can either I can either open up, you know, ihya Illuma on my own and try to read through it, or I can go to my teachers and my peers who I feel embody what's in that and benefit from them that way. And so for, for me, more than anything, it's just don't give up. You know, don't, don't, don't be so hard on yourself, but always have something that you strive for. Imam Zaid said this to me once, he said, you know, the difference between this new generation and my generation, he was speaking of his own generation. He said, when I converted, we translated Islam as surrender. And so when we surrendered to the will of Allah, we knew that there was something we had to give up. We knew that there was something that we had to strive for. He said, "But this new generation translates Islam as peace, and so so you find people who they'll you know they'll 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 acquiesce to this religion and they'll and they'll and they'll they'll they'll, they'll try to follow a spiritual path, but there's not an element of sacrifice of something that they're willing mm-hmm. uh, to give up or something that they feel they need to give up. So we're we're developing this kind of community where everyone's just comfortable where they are, but there's not a lot of mahasaba." there's not a lot of muraqaba we're not calling ourselves to accounts we're not doing this you know and if we're honest with this like we 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 falter i've faltered so many times i've faltered majorly major i've made major major mistakes major major mistakes and shaitan will come and say you've made major mistakes people have seen those mistakes therefore you're no longer worthy of a spiritual path you should just stop but that's not the case. I mean, we're all going to make mistakes. The Prophet Muhammad said that the children of Adam are prone to mistakes. The best of them are ones who make mistakes and call it Allah for forgiveness. And so that's what I would say. Be easy on yourself, right? Keep keep striving. Don't give up. I am now 23 years later still studying Arabic. 23 later, twenty three years later. And not studying Arabic like, oh, I'm studying Balagha now, right? So that I can, you know... Write my own Tafsir. I'm studying Arabic that I should have got in probably year 2000 or 2000 2001, but that's okay. The point is, I'm still doing it. I'm still studying, and so my advice to people who aren't as studious—they're maybe a little bit like me—just keep going and and don't stop, and you will get what you're supposed to get. You'll get your portion. Uh, you know, I tell my kids all the time. You know we we, we 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 don't own results we only own two things in this world and this is something that's been taught to me by, by my teacher we only own two things the only two things that we can do one is intention and second is effort that's it that's what we can do that's our commitment the results aren't up to us i i, I went in I, with the same intention that that my peers went in to get this level to get knowledge and to become to become a scholar but the results aren't up to me. The results are up to Allah. I didn't achieve what they achieved. But Allah allowed me to achieve something different. Alhamdulillah.
1: Thank you so much for your time and your advice <laughs> and all of your amazing stories from all over the
0: world. <laughs> my, my my pleasure, Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Thank you so much for, for, for having me. Alhamdulillah. It's been a pleasure. نور المنازل يا محمد يا من خلق من نور ربه يا من